few weeks ago we started this series called Pursuing God. And the key text in that series is Matthew 6.33, which says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In this passage, Jesus makes it very clear that we are to put God first. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus wasn't saying something new to the people he was talking to. You see, the Jews that he was talking to understood this concept when it came to their relationship with God. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 5, God gave the children of Israel, his people, the Ten Commandments. Isn't that right? And he gave them this list of commandments to say, this is how I want you to relate to me. This is how I want you to live your lives. And it's really interesting, in the next chapter, after the Ten Commandments, in the next chapter in Deuteronomy 6, he gives the children of Israel another commandment. Dare I say it might be the 11th commandment, but it actually became what Jesus described as the greatest commandment of them all the most important commandment, the one that they were to follow most, I don't know, mostly with their life. Um, And it's in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 9, and you know this, this passage. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Anyone heard that before? This is God, and this is what that was described as the greatest commandment in Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler. Now, it goes on to give, God doesn't just leave it there. He gives instructions on how they are to do this. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. In other words, the throne room of your life. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So every part of your life should be directed by this idea to love God with everything you have. And then it says, And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now I've got no idea what that means. But it's obviously something here where you can't go anywhere without seeing this command to love God with all your heart, all your soul and all your strength. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So whenever you go in and you come out, you are reminded to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind and all your strength. So this makes it very clear. As he, and, and Jesus takes it to this scripture in Matthew and says seek God first or seek first the kingdom of God he's saying this idea that God had given the children of Israel way back that we are to put God front and center in our life that he is to be the absolute um, object of all our mind will and emotions every part of our life he needs to be the object of our attention Now, fast forward to today, in the modern society and in the modern church, we describe this as having a relationship with God. Isn't that right? We get very excited to say, you know, we're not about religion. We're about having a relationship with God. And this is what God is talking about. 
when he asks us to seek first the kingdom of God. He's saying, have a relationship with me. Include me in everything you do. But as much as we love talking about having a relationship with God, I want to ask us this question, because do we truly understand the attention required to have a relationship with God? We love to talk about having a relationship with God. We love to celebrate around communion how God has made it possible for us to have a relationship with him. But we, do we really understand the attention that is required for us to truly have a relationship with God? This series about pursuing God, with the reason I felt God tell us to do it is because I felt like God wanted to remind us of our place to pursue him with all our heart. To, to have a relationship with him means understanding, yes, he pursued us, but we need to pursue him. Because the truth is, like any relationship, we can become familiar. We can become f complacent. Isn't that right? And so God wants to remind us to, to stir up a desire and a passion when it comes to our relationship with him. Julie shared powerfully last week about drawing near to God and that whole idea about, about if you draw near to something, you have to draw away from something. And sometimes life and everything distracts us and gets us our attention on the wrong stuff and to get back, to get our attention back on the right stuff, we need to leave that stuff and draw near to God, which is the whole concept of what God and having a relationship with him is all about. A few weeks ago, I shared from Revelation uh, about Jesus' message to the church in Ephesus. And in that passage, Jesus talked about, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that, you and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my namesake, and have not become weary. Now he's commending them. Like he's going, you're patient, you've done this, you've done that, you've done good stuff. So this is great. But then he gets to the heart of it, and he says that, faithful term or the faithful word nevertheless nevertheless i have this against you that you have left your first love what does our key text say but seek first the kingdom of god is he saying that you have left your first that putting me first in your life that love where, that you had when you first met me, this idea and this concept. And then he goes on to say, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now here's the challenge. How do we maintain this first love? How do we restore this first love? There's at one point of 
keeping it going, keeping that fire burning. But then there's, if the fire has dwindled, how do we return to it? The passage is pretty clear. Repent and go back to first works. But as I shared a few weeks ago, there's this idea of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus saying to them around about that were complaining, saying that she has found the one thing worth being concerned about. And to me, that's, that's the reminder we need to remember, that we need to make Jesus the one thing worth being concerned about. Now here's the interesting thing. In our passage here in Revelation, we have to remember that Jesus is talking to the church in Ephesus. Now he's not talking to an individual, which is really important for us to remember because in our modern times we love this concept of having a personal relationship with God. We love it. It sort of suits our society today that we are a little bit isolationist. We love to keep to ourselves. We love to sit in our house and not know our neighbours and all of this sort of stuff. So we like this idea, I can have a personal relationship with God. But in this passage, Jesus is talking to the church. He's talking to a group of people and reminding them as a group, you've lost your first love. I think this is really important for us to understand because we need to remember that being in the presence of God alone is not our goal. I want you to think about that for a moment. Often we think, oh, I just want to get alone with God, which is good. There are times where you need to withdraw. Jesus withdrew and prayed. But there, the goal, the aim, the reality of being in God's presence was that we were never meant to do it alone. Take you back to the story at creation. Adam was with God and they were in the garden and everything seemed great. Who would think that that would be the perfect environment? Me, God, beautiful garden, beautiful environment. What else could you want? And what did God say to Adam and to to himself? It is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. We were never, the goal was never to have a relationship with God just for ourselves. The goal that Jesus came and died on a cross for, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, was to bring many brothers and sisters back to God. He did it to create community. He did it to create family. He did it to bring his people back to him. It's like Linda shared this morning, Jesus went out for the one sheep, he left the 99 that were safe and could look after each other. See, when God called you, he called you into his family, the Bible tells us. When God called you, he called you to be a member of his body. When God called you, the Bible teaches us that he called us to be a stone or a brick in his house in Peter. He co- so what does that tell you? He, it means that he called you and he made you to belong to something bigger than yourself. 
This is what God has called us to. Rick Warren says it this way. He says, you're created for family, formed for fellowship, and fashioned for family. You were not created to live by yourself in isolation. So here's the challenge for us, church. If we understand that God wants to relate to us as a group, as his body, as his family, as his church, then it makes sense that how can we as the church of God, how can we as the church community help each other to maintain our first love? How can we as a church community help each other to return to our first love? How can we remind ourselves as a group and as a body and as a family and as a house, how can we remind ourselves of what the one thing worth being concerned about is? Because that's how God wants it to work. He wants us to do this together. Now, if you, if you just think about it a little bit further, you understand that we can't do this Christian life and our relationship with God alone. If you want an example of that, the reality is Jesus himself. When he became human, now maybe possibly because of he was the son of God, he could have done that, but he chose to have disciples. And there were times when he went and withdrew to pray that he invited disciples to go with him, to not do it alone. Because he understood the plan that God has, that we do life together. That it's not that we live in isolation and that we have this beautiful little personal relationship with God and that's all we need. Because you will not survive if that's what you think it's like. We need each other. We need each other to survive. So the question I asked was, how can we as a church community help each other to maintain our first love? When I asked myself that question, to me, it just raises more questions in my mind. And I'll share a few of them with you today to think about. Questions like, how are we living together as God's community in this church? How are we doing that? What's new and different about being part of a church? How's being part of a church different to being a member of the RSL down the road? How's being a part of this church body different to being a member of the North Haven Footy Club across the road? How is it different? Is it different? What makes outsiders like Marie walking down the road who are looking in at the church be attracted to it? What is attractive about this gathering? Why would people want to be a part of it? Why would people say, this is somewhere I would want to be? And then that challenging question is, is the poor church operating from a place of first love? They're challenging questions to remind us of what we really stand for. You see, when I start to ask myself these kind, kind of questions, my natural way of answering them is I say, well, God, what do you say in your word? What, what does your word say about this? Is there a community or a, 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 a something in your word that shows us a community that does operate out of first love? 
obviously the church in Ephesus missed it and they were not quite right and so is there something we can find that would help us do that and when I was reading that scripture in Revelation it's interesting that it it says that um, repent and go back to first works or return to your first works as soon as I read that I was thinking what are first works my logical thing or the way I think you might think this is weird but when I thought first I thought well where did they first do this where was their first a love for God in a community and God took me straight back to the early church in Acts if there was any community that displayed first love type of community it was the first church in Acts they gave us a really clear picture of what is possible when we live together in first love for God in other words when we become a place where Jesus is the one thing worth being concerned about a community that's fueled by a God-driven type of love for the world around them a God-driven type of love for each other this is that type of love that drove Jesus and that Jesus modeled for us when he was here on earth and I believe it's a type of community that our world is craving for that our world wants to be a part of when our world sees a community like that that is full of God's love and a, a full-on commitment for him I believe the world looks in and goes they've got something I need and so we're going to look quickly at the the early church and see what we can learn from them when it comes to maintaining and fueling our first love for God in Acts 2 42 to 47 it describes the early church this is a incredible to read what they were like and it says there and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching now this is talking about the early church in in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost 3,000 or so were added to the church and this is the early church led by the apostles and so they this church they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and I'll read that again and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need and then it says and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved what an incredible description of God's community of God's plan for the church there's so much we could take out of this passage but I just want to share with you two things that I believe we can learn from the early church and if we can put these into greater practice in our church I'm not saying they're not there but if we can make them an even greater focus I believe we can become that type of first love community that God is looking for that God is crying out to us to be when he says to his people seek first the kingdom of God that if we could get a hold of this it could revolutionize not just our church it could revolutionize our community as well so the first thing that we can learn from the early church 
is they prayed together and studied God's word together. If you read that passage back in back in Acts, often it says, and day by day they attended the temple together, the breaking of bread in their homes, and they received food, and they devoted themselves to teaching and, and so it was it was done regularly, but they often met together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, whether it was in the temple or whether it was in their homes. But what they did is they did it together. In my mind, it's, it was simple for them because they're, they're, these are all new Christians and for them, they didn't know Jesus personally. But what they did was they thought the apostles knew Jesus personally. They walked with him and lived with him for three years of their life. So if I'm going to find out more about Jesus, then I'm going to hang around the apostles. Does that make sense? Does that, that, is that logical? So that, that's why they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, because if I'm going to know what Jesus is like, these guys were with him day and night for three and a half years. I'm going to be with them and find out what Jesus is like so I can learn and grow and become closer to Jesus. Does that make sense? Are you getting this? So it's really important for us to understand this because God has called us into community, this community called the church. Now understand what I'm saying here, not to just have meetings for meeting's sake. We talk about this often at churches. We don't just want to put on meetings for the sake of having meetings. And, and sometimes the meeting becomes the be-all and end-all and we forget about the fact that the, the reason we have meetings is so that we can do life together. Because the reality is you can't do life together if you don't meet together. Isn't that right? This is the problem is we come together in a meeting like this and it's great. But for some of us, we don't even see anyone for the next week until we come back into a meeting like this. That's not what the early church was about. That's not what God designed the church to be about. He called us to be involved with each other's lives. He taught us to be family. He taught, brought us together to be a part of his body. He taught us to be involved with one another. And it, with, with the early church, it was really clear that as they, if they were going to grow in their understanding of God, they needed to position themselves in a place where they could learn from others and grow in their faith with one another. The, the scripture in Acts that we often use about encouraging people to come to church, if we think about it in this context of the early church, the writer says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So what he is saying is, let's consider how can we encourage one another? How can we spur one another on? How can we, we help each other grow in our faith and do what God has called us to do? Do the good work that God has called us to achieve. And he says, not giving up meeting together. Now, we, we have dumbed this down to say catching up at church on Sundays. Wrong. 
This is talking about meeting together on a Monday or meeting together not in a church-sanctioned meeting. This is about getting involved in each other's lives. How can I spur you on? How can, how can I do that? And you should be saying, well, how can I do that for others? How can we motivate each other in our work for God? How can we spur one another on toward love and good deeds? How do we do it? By meeting together. Not waiting for the pastor to put on a meeting, but saying, I need to meet with other people and so I can learn and grow in my walk with God. Do you get it, church? Too often we're just waiting, oh, waiting for someone that might give me a call or that might invite me to grow group or might do this or might do that, rather than actually saying, i got a responsibility to actually get off my bum and meet with someone and spur someone on and they might spur me on. And this is what this writer is talking about because as some are in the habit of doing. So even back then they, he's saying not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Guess what? We're even closer to the day approaching now. Some of you are going, looking around at the world at the moment and you're going, it's even even closer with everything that's going on. Guess what that means? Stop isolating yourself. Get together with people. Don't wait for the church to organise something. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. It's our responsibility to do this. The second thing we learned from the early church, sorry if I'm being strong, but I, I just, it's important. It's important. I shouldn't say sorry. People tell me off at saying that. They practiced hospitality and got involved in each other's life. We read in our passage that, and, they, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Now we think breaking bread, they were having communion. Yes, that's the case. They were remembering Jesus and what he had done for them. But you have to understand, in the, in the New Testament, when they broke bread together and had communion together, they didn't have a little cup and a little piece of bread packed. <laughs> Some people. They had a meal together. They had a feast together. That's when Paul got upset with them to tell them off because there was so much food that people were saying, oh, this food's just for us, not for you guys over there. We brought this for our friends. And that's why he got mad at them because it was about sharing together. And so these guys show us that they, they shared everything in common. They shared their food, it says there, and they did it with glad and generous hearts. And the, the simplest way we can live out this, this incredible joy and love we've found in Jesus is through acts of hospitality. By inviting people into your home. Or Now, if you don't feel comfortable with that, then just invite them to the coffee place or the cafe or whatever you call it these days. Maccas or wherever you want to invite them. Just do something and get out of your comfort zone and show hospitality to one another. It just means including people in your life and being in, inviting people to be a part of your life. 
The truth is this type of generosity that we see in the early t- church is, is founded in what we call gratefulness. Now we talk about gratefulness a lot these days. It's become a bit of a secular term. But the reality of gratefulness is they had received an incredible gift from God. They had received Jesus and what he had done. And because of God's great love, it had changed their life. And they then wanted to show others the same sort of love and grace. You see, this is what God has called us to. That when we receive God's incredible love, we sang about it this morning, the grace of God, the love of God. It's amazing. It's incredible when we receive that and our lives are transformed. We realize we have value. We realize we have purpose and we have hope and we're excited about that. And then it's our responsibility to then show that same type of love and grace to the world around us. I love, I love the way Eugene Peterson says this. He says, but it is God's will that we live by the lively exchanges of grace and in the splendid movements of love. Now that sounds a bit flowery, but what he's trying to say is live your life by love and grace. That this is God's will. This is what God has commanded us to do. This is God's desire for our lives is that we live by grace. That we live by showing the grace to others that we have received that we live we move around in our life with love and then and this is as benito would say the kicker and neither grace nor love are possible without friends and enemies it's not rocket science you can't live by grace and love on your own can't climb a tree, build a tree house and sit up there and say, it's just me and God and I'm living by grace and love because God designed grace and love to be shared with others, whether they are your friends or your enemies. God's called us to live by grace and love. This is the exciting thing. When a church lives like this, when a church studies and prays together when a church shares hospitality together and i know there's amazing people in our church i'm not saying we don't do this because we there are people doing this all the time but i believe god wants us to step up to another level to step up to another commitment to to not just be comfortable and and complacent and just i do my bit but say no this is this has got to be my life's goal this has got to be my life commitment to, to share life with my brothers and sisters. And the incredible thing is what happens when we do this, as we see in the early church, they saw miracles. They saw incredible miracles happen in the church. And that, that they didn't just see that. It literally says in another passage that there was none in their group that lacked anything because they shared everything. There was none poor amongst them because they helped one another. How incredible is that? And then the most incredible thing is that day by day, as it said in our passage, new people were added to the church. New people were saved. New people were introduced to Jesus every day, 
day after day after day. Wouldn't it be great to hear Marie's story every day of the week? How incredible would that be? But it takes a commitment from us to return to that first love, that place in community where we, we are there for one another, the, the place where God is the center of all our interactions and we want to grow in our, our walk with God and we know we need to do it together. The truth is that the enemy knows that us being together is is a powerful thing and so he'll do everything in his power to stop us being together to isolate us the bible teaches us that he will try to isolate and and keep people on their own why because he also understands that when we are together as the bible says god is there with us and they and jesus went on to say where two or three gather together in my name i will be there amongst them and he goes on to say, and they can ask anything in agreement, and it will be done. What incredible potential there is when we gather together in one accord and one mind with one purpose, to love God with all our hearts, with all our minds, and with all our souls. And that we would spur each other on to do that. You see, pursuing God and practicing first love is simply loving God and loving each other together. Say it like that. There is no greater way to affect the culture around us than by the way we live together. The way we live together and the way we do life together is what will affect the world around us. And I believe community, the community that God has called us to, is all about the power of loving God together. Not on our own individually. Yes, that's great. But when we bring us together and we love God together, the Bible teaches us anything is possible. And this is what I believe God has called us to do. Jesus summed it up this way when he said a new commandment. So he's saying, you know that old commandment? Love the God, Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Well, guess what? I'm giving you a new one today. And the new commandment I give you is that you, are, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another there's challenges there because when we love one another as God has loved us with grace and love when we love one another like that Guess what happens? We discover God. We discover who God really is when we love one another as he has loved us. I want to leave you with just some questions as we close. To finish with some questions, I'm not going to have 
an altar call or anything like that or commitment. But I want to leave you with some questions for you to reflect upon for a few couple of minutes and to think about how you would answer these questions. But I want to encourage you, don't just leave it here. If God is speaking to you, if the Holy Spirit is moving upon your heart, make a commitment this week to do something different to what you've been doing, to take a risk and try something new. So the questions I want to ask you are, and I ask myself this question, what am I doing to study God's word with others? The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching together. What am I doing to study God's word with other people, not just or by myself? When was the last time I made time to pray with others? It's great to pray on your own. It's great to have your own prayer closet and all of that. But when was the last time you prayed with someone else? I remember one of the greatest times of growth in my own life was when we we did a thing in our old church called a prayer triplet. And once a week or once a fortnight, I would get together with two other guys and we would pray together for half an hour or so. We'd pray for one another, we'd pray for needs. but we'd, And it, it caused great growth in my life because there is a power of praying together, not just all by ourselves. So when was the last time I made time to pray with others? How do I respond when I hear about someone else's need? What do I do? Do I go, they should have known better? Or am I moved with compassion? and think, how can I help? How do I respond when I'm faced with someone else's need? And lastly, how do I practice hospitality in my life? You see, we're all different. Not all of us can bake a meal and, and invite people around and have a nice spread. But I do believe we're all called to practice hospitality as Christians in whatever way we can. And it's about finding how God's called you to do it and putting it into practice. What is the fruit of hospitality in your life? Because hospitality is all about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. But all of those things are only make sense in the context of relationships. God doesn't give you love to just enjoy for yourself. Or patience. Or self-control. Or kindness. It's for others to enjoy as well. I'm going to pray and I'm going to leave you some time just to reflect upon those questions. And it might be a somber moment to finish this message on. But uh, we do have tea and coffee up the back to make yourselves. And we'd ask you to sit when if you want to have a tea and coffee. But I'm going to allow you to disperse as you're comfortable and as you're ready. But just take a moment to reflect upon these questions and ask God, what do you want me to do 
to address some of these questions. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Lord God, we thank you that your word is like a two-edged sword and it comes to, to, to divide and to, to, to bring newness to our lives. And I pray that this morning this word would bring newness to the life of not just this church but to each one of us here. It would remind us of our responsibility to meet together, our responsibility to do life together, that you haven't called us to isolation or independence. You've called us to dependence on you and dependence on one another. Help us to live as you've called us to live. We ask you this in Jesus' name.